Good afternoon and welcome to What Comes Next Live. Um, as always, I'm Tom McCallum. I'm just dealing with a bit of tech this week because for some unusual reasons, I'm in a different location from normal. Um, however, that's all very boring stuff. What's much more exciting is my guest this week, fellow member of the Tom Plan, Tom Nixon, um, who has recently published a book, which I had the great pleasure of having a pre-read to before publication date, called Source. Uh, Tom and I are fellow alumni uh, from a mutual friend, the amazing Carrie Beddingfield, who took us up a mountain. Um, and we're sworn to secrecy about what happened there about four years ago. Um, but fundamentally, a bunch of entrepreneurs um, sharing a whole bunch of ideas. And off that, a lot of things have catalyzed. And uh, more than one of my fellows from that group has have been guests on the show. And it's an absolute pleasure to have, have Tom on today, especially as he's just launched his new book source. Tom, welcome. Thank you, Tom. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> so um, fire away. Tell us a bit about yourself. And um, as always, our topic is what comes next. And it's very apposite to do with entrepreneurship and leadership. Yeah, absolutely. So the thing that I'm really interested in is how we can realize worthwhile ideas in the world. So whilst a lot of my contemporaries are really interested in organizations and we talk about how to make better businesses or companies or places to work, I think that stuff is really important. But for me, when I look at the macro picture in the world, it's how can we create the things the world needs today or how can we make changes to the systems that we live in and so work we source the book there it is hey. <laughs> is really a book for for people who are trying to make something happen in the world so it's mostly a book more than anything else for founders be that an entrepreneur who's got an idea for a business that's going to make a positive impact but also for leaders of social movements um activists anyone who more than anything else yeah is trying to make an idea happen and really what the book gives you is a is a slightly different lens to to look at the process of realizing ideas so there's a number of different directions we could go but i'm curious what it sparks for you tom and where you think we might go next you've had you've had you've had a little look at the book i don't want to just give you a huge monologue um i, I mean i i'm an entrepreneur uh, as are you uh, we've both started and built businesses and been through the complete life cycle of that journey um, multiple times. And so both of us have a commonality that we spend a lot of time helping people who are on that journey and just in different ways. What struck me as really interesting, and I know a lot of your experience personally fed into this as well as working with leaders, um, was your distinction between founder slash entrepreneur and and the source mm. um, and so for me that's the core underpinning thought of the book and the one since i read it a month or two ago i've just been in conversation with so many people and it keeps coming into my mind mm -hmm. all the time about what's the role of that person are they the source um and or what's their role yeah so so, it yeah. was a bit about your yeah. Great. Well, I'd, I'd like to understand how you came to this awareness and, and then explain kind of what it all means. Yeah, sure. So that's, a, this is one of the central concepts of the, of the book. And it's that whilst particularly in businesses and organizations, we're used to thinking of, um, formal roles, like who's the, who's the CEO. Hmm. There are, 
there's almost like a deeper layer underneath the formal organization, which is um, the layer where it's about the person who first breathed life into an idea to start the process of realizing some kind of idea in the world. And how I got into this was uh, many years ago when I'd um, started and then left a business that I founded. And then I watched from the outside for a couple of years while it did it did well for a while. And then and then it started to go to go wrong and good people were leaving. The company didn't have a clear vision for where it was going. That was really bringing everyone together anymore. Mm-hmm. And the truth was, it wasn't really the fault of anybody that was there. They were all great people, but somehow the wheels were spinning and it wasn't getting traction anymore. And that was when a good friend of mine, Charlie Davis, introduced me to the work that the book is centered on by Peter Koenig. And he said, ah, whilst you think you've left the company that you founded, actually, I don't think you really left it and you still have this connection to it. Mm-hmm. And that just sounded completely bizarre to me, really almost like witchcraft some, somehow. Mm-hmm. But that's when I first discovered this idea that there's a role inside any human initiative. So from a, from a theatre production to a company to an activist movement, there's a role that starts with the originating founder, the first person who first took some kind of risk to invest themselves in mm-hmm. an idea um, to start making it happen. And that was the role that I occupied as the founder. And the really interesting thing was that despite having sold most of my shares and having physically left the company, I'd even left the country um, and resigned from the board and so on. I still had this like a special energetic connection to the, um, the field, if you like, that I'd opened up as the originating founder. And so this was really new to me, that there was this idea that there was this role that people don't really tend to acknowledge or, or understand. But once you start to learn to see it, a lot of other things in organizations start to make sense, that you start to find that other tensions and problems that are emerging seem to trace back to the person who's in the role of source. And in my particular case, in that story, what I hadn't done well is I hadn't handed that role on because there can be a succession process, which is, again, different from just handing over a set of formal responsibilities or handing over or selling some shares. It's a much more heartfelt rite of passage um, to pass on the role of source to a to a successor. And I hadn't done that. And that seemed to explain why the company was 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 struggling. Um, And that precipitated a fascinating journey where I ended up getting drawn back into the company. My business partner at the time, who was an exceptional business guy and leader, he ended up leaving to take his dream job with a with another fantastic company. And together with the team, we managed to turn the company around in six months. And then a little while later, decided to completely blow the company apart. And that spawned a whole raft of new initiatives. So it can be quite catalytic when you start to look at things through through a new lens. But we can yeah dig into some of the specifics. But I'm curious what it opens up for you. Um, the in the book you you tell your your story as as you've recounted. Mm. Um, what examples? So, like I mentioned to you, once I read it, I started to see it. Mm. It's like when you've got young children. I know you've got a young kid. It's like uh, when my kids were younger. If they're bored of a long car journey, you know, I, I was taught by a friend of mine who has four children. I only have three. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, "Well, just play the car game." Drive along and say, pick a color. Says, okay, red. Okay. Go look at, you know, count the red cars. And all of a sudden it seems like every car they spot is red. Yeah. So I just see it. And I guess you've been looking at this for quite a long time. 
what what examples that you know popular examples might might you point to yeah so that I people think, might be aware of yeah so a really a really famous and interesting example of this is looking at the story of what happened at microsoft mm-hmm. so the um obviously the very famous source of microsoft was was bill gates as i think right. everyone knows mm-hmm. and then if we look at bill gates's process of how he eventually left the company that that he started the first attempt at a succession was to Steve Ballmer, as you'll, mm-hmm. as you'll recall, who was, yeah, quite a character in, um, in many ways. And so the interesting thing that happened there is Bill Gates, you know, formally handed over the CEO role and mm-hmm. formally Steve Ballmer had, had the power. But through the odd informal conversation I've had with people at Microsoft, they say it kind of still felt like it was Bill's company. And so there's something going on at a deeper, more human, intuitive level than the formal roles and responsibilities and um you know steve steve bauman managed to um uh, make the company profitable but it didn't really grow and people often comment that it was sort of creatively a bit stagnant and got a bit left behind by newer tech companies in the in the market and as we all know eventually steve um steve bauman left the company bill gates came came back for a period of time but the way to look at this through the lens of the role of source is like he never actually really left and the company was a bit rudderless because he wasn't fully leading it. Um, and then the really interesting thing more recently that seems to have happened now that Satya Nadella is the, is the new CEO of Microsoft. Now the vibe that I pick up is that it does seem to have a new lease of life again. And obviously we Absolutely. can we yeah. can have many opinions about Microsoft. You know, they're a huge company and there are probably some great things and some, some less great things about it. But it does seem to have that creative momentum in it mm-hmm. again. And so we get the impression now that there has been a, a more heartfelt succession of the role mm. of from Gates to to, Baum, uh, to Satya Nadella. Mm. Um, so yeah, so that's a that's a famous one, and um, and a lot of my work is around succession. So it's when founders want yes. to leave, or when things go wrong after, like it did at my company, mm-hmm. sometimes even years later, and mm. somehow there's a connection to the old founder, even though people think they've left. And I think people who've been entrepreneurs and they've been in that creative role of holding a vision and holding space for something to emerge, they often mm. intuitively get it. Lots of founders I talk to when there are confusions going on in their companies, they 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 read about source and they go, ah, you've put words to something that yeah. I that I've that I've sensed and felt. Mm. And that's what yeah, that's what Peter Koenig clarified through his work. And that's what eventually um, mm. I put my book on. Yeah. Well, as you but see from my homepage, what comes next is, is, is my kind of tag. Mm. And so I, I do work on that, whether we call it succession or otherwise. And the specialty of mine was working on family businesses, often multi-generational. Yeah. And I think what's, what comes up for me in listening to this as we kind of take this in an iterative dialogue, I guess, um, is there are differing degrees of consciousness and awareness mm. of that. And if you, I think there's an interesting, to me, an interesting uh, comparative around family business as opposed to founder-started businesses. Yes. Um, because when you get to multi, I won't dive into multi-generational families too much. But it's if I look at the Microsoft example, and 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 I would echo your anecdotal uh, experience from talking to people of different seniorities in Microsoft. The vibe has totally changed there since mm-hmm. Nadella took over. And I referenced Nadella as a, as a, an open leadership guy, a humble leader, the opposite of the table banging, I hate oracles. Yeah, he's pretty impressive, isn't he, as a corporate um, CEO? 
so very different style. But but I wonder to what level Bill Gates was ever uh, aware of his place in the, in your language, the energetic connection, his place in the energy field of 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 this, whether he was conscious of yeah. what he brought and whether um, you know, because it feels like there has almost been a source handover to Nadella, because to some degree Microsoft is very creative and yeah. and freeing and you know, like it might have been 20, 30, 40 years ago. But I just wonder to um, use that as an example, what would it look like or what examples might there be where people, however they defined it, had consciousness around what they were bringing and did elegantly do a handover? Mm. Yeah, well, there are there are some facets and sometimes it happens by accident and sometimes they're mm. really interesting case studies. I mean, I'll tell you mm. one one story to bring it to life a little bit. This was a um, a chain of uh, local um, food outlets, really, really well known in Brighton. I'm not I'm not going to name it by name because the um, the founder there said they need to give, give it a bit of breathing space first. But I can tell you the I can tell you the story. Mm. But it was an originating founder who started this this um, this food outlet. And it and it grew and he opened a couple of stores in in Brighton and then eventually he sold the business to uh, to a friend of mine. And so from a formal level, it was very clear. So he bought 100 percent of the shares. The old mm-hmm. founder had resigned as a director. He'd installed himself as the new managing director. So as far as lawyers and accountants are concerned, the succession is is done. But what the what the successor found was that actually things were a real struggle in the in the early years. It was really hard to to find to find direction and to get people moving in the in the hmm. same direction. And after a couple of years, you know, through sheer hard work, eventually managed to open its first new outlet in in some time. And during that opening process, on the second day, he decided to um, to invite the old founder to come along and see right. what he's done who he'd been deliberately keeping at arm's length because he didn't want the, the waters to be muddied. And, um, and a, quite a, a special thing happened that the two of them were standing outside this shop looking at it and he'd created a bit of new branding on the storefront. Mm-hmm. And the old founder put his arm around my friend oh. and said, wow, it's really great what you've done with this. This really is yours now. And they said this tender little moment. Hmm. And, you know, in, in source language, what we'd say is that was the moment the succession really happened. And there was like a, a, a handover hmm. operating, a, you know, a deeply sort of heartfelt or psychological level or even spiritual level, some, some would say, from one person to the other. And after that, the, the successor felt different. It, he felt like it really was his now, in spite of already being the MD and in spite of owning the whole business. Yeah. And, and and fortunes changed and he found a great creative flow, opened up all kinds of exciting new avenues for the business. Um, and so, yeah, so that was a really nice example that happened by accident. Hmm. And now what I often do is work with with clients where they want to do this very deliberately, where they can see that there's a succession hmm. happening. And they're trying to say, okay, how can we acknowledge this deeper, deeper level and pay attention to it and make sure the succession happens there as well. So the old founder can really let go and the new person can fully take it on in the set and hold it in the same way a founder would, even though they weren't there at the beginning. And family businesses often do this very well hmm. intuitively. Um, often when they learn about it, they go, oh yeah, we've been doing that for generations. So it's actually nothing new. 
but um but we've we've or peter has um really clarified it and, and a yeah. few of us are helping to get those ideas out into the world it's yeah it's there's a lot in it you, you know you talked about the first person who first took the risk of first breed life into it was the, the language um i would counter that some families do it really well many do it, oh, yeah, not all. many do it horribly and painfully mm. um, and a recent example for me that i um, do feel to share is um, a client i worked with um, for a number of years um, and the patriarch um, passed away um, relatively quickly um, a month ago roughly Mm. And it was very sad for me because it was in my, my home country, the Cayman Islands, and I wasn't able to visit from where I'm in London. Um, but it, in listening to you talk and, and this focus upon the idea of source and it not being about the rational, rational, measurable, monetary, procedural, all of the things that for clarity of anybody watching or listening to this later, Right. Both you and I know exactly how to do all that stuff. Right. But the, the, in, the intrigue becomes about, well, what, what really makes things tick? And your book is just fascinating. What's really cool to me is I worked with that family business for about six years. Mm. Right? And on effectively succession on what comes next, both in terms of generational handover, mm. but also in terms of making sure the business knew who it was, what it was, all of the business growth stuff, right? But one of my roles, one of the things for the older generation in Cayman is is to honour the older generation by sitting with them, mm. by listening to their stories, by honouring and respecting the generation they came from. And actually, respect for elders is huge in Cayman. Everybody is referred to as either Mr. Tom or Miss So-and-so, right? Um and uh, it's, you know, leave, leaving aside more modern tendencies to to be gender neutral and stuff, they they it's a matter of generational respect. Um, and and so Mr. H, as he was actually known, so I'm not also keeping him anonymous. Um, part of my role was to was to spend an hour an hour sitting with him um, every couple of weeks. Mm. And I'm always listening with the context of succession. Um, but part of that is letting go and letting him, letting go of the business, but also recognizing, capturing his stories, writing them down, sharing them with the next generation in a, in a sort of neutral observer space. And yeah. actually, I, I've played a, a small part in that. And I genuinely feel that and I've spoken with a generation that took over since. Um, and it's, it's, of course, devastating to lose, lose their father. Mm. Um, however, that it's their business now yeah and so there's things that can be done and they're not what's written down on the income statement and balance sheet yeah so perhaps i'd just hand that back to you now and so yeah and the most you know it's it's nice that we're focusing on succession because i think this is you know one of the parts of it that i'm most fascinated with but um what seems to happen is that when the succession does happen the thing that's really passed on more than anything else is the values of the organization which again is something that's not on that's not on the balance sheet and it's not in the you know the articles of association of the of the company but it's this the deepest sense if you keep asking why are we doing what we're doing and how do we how do we hold ourselves here then when you get no deeper answer you've usually got to what we might call the values 
And that's really the thing that gets passed on. And there's a process between an outgoing source and a, and a successor where it's almost like a dance that, that mm. they have. And the outgoing source is really looking to see whether the, the successor really gets it and is really going to hold these, these timeless values of the initiative. And meanwhile, the successor needs to think, do I really want to take this on? You know, for mm. better and for worse, because they're taking on like a, an energetic field, if you like. Right. That sounds like slightly spiritual language, but I don't have any, I don't have any better words to use for it. Um, they need to feel it, that they really want to take it. And when the two of them sense that the time is right, which might take them take years to build up to, um, it passes in an instant. And the, the test is, is do they remember the moment? So both people will remember this really special moment, just like the founder that I mentioned earlier. Yes. As soon as I mentioned this idea of succession source, he immediately said, oh, yeah, I had a moment like that and told me the story. And this happens time and time again in our work and in our research. And so if anyone knows Bill Gates, ask him if he can remember a moment where it yeah. felt like in a very deep in his gut or in his in his heart. I mean, he's a very heady guy, I think. So yeah. I'm curious about how if or how he feels that stuff. But ask him if he remembers a moment where it really felt like he passed it to Nadella. And then we'll know. Then we'll know for sure that it's happened. I have a suspicion they would remember. Yeah. And I, I have a, I, I like weird. Uh, my late mentor Ed Percival, um, he said you, you know, when he would do presentations and workshops, he'd say you'd position that he might say some strange things. He might say something that's downright weird. And when I say something that's is weird to you, tell me because where I come from, weird is a high form of praise. <laughs> and he worked on every form of spirituality energy on top of all the functional business stuff that we're the world is much more comfortable talking about yeah and i might consider that um there was never a moment where but gates and nadella talked but there might have been a moment where gates was just simply sitting somewhere mm. and realized he'd handed the torch right uh, but he, he released that energy field so that's me being weird you know yeah well, this is how we find out more is by is by collecting these these stories. Mm. And it, it does seem to happen that it's a moment with the two of them together. Yeah, yeah. That, that would make one sense. One to one process. I mean, a big part of my work is working with very participatory, often very decentralized initiatives, mm. um, often where they rally a bit against the idea of mm. being mm. anything top down. Um, and sometimes in that world, they don't like the idea that somebody has some kind of special role that's different to everybody else, which I can really understand because, we, you know, we live in patriarchal societies where there's often yeah. power that's ordained um, mm -hmm. on someone and not granted in perhaps a more, a more democratic way. But what I'm slowly seeing in those communities is actually the idea of the role of source is starting to gain some traction there mm -hmm. just because they're seeing that it does seem to explain a lot of the dynamics that they see. But the best sources find that they don't have to be a tyrannical, um, dictatorial, mm. top-down leader. They mm. might occasionally switch some of that on if the situation really demands it. You know, if you're yeah. in a state of emergency and you have to make a big decision very fast, you mm. don't have time to convene everybody and you need someone you can trust to make a big decision quickly. And we have that in democracies as well as in companies. But most of the time, what the source really does is host and hold space for other people to take the initiative within the wider frame that they've op that they've opened up and allow people to become sources for their part of the whole. Sometimes we call that a specific source. Um, so you certainly see this within companies. You can look at 
the overall feels of the company. But then within that, for each product, there's yes. probably someone that first breathed life into the idea for each product or maybe certain functional areas or other initiatives or teams in the company. You can start to spot the role of source operating at every level, cascading mm-hmm. down from the from the big picture to the to the smaller stuff. And it often helps explain why certain initiatives are adrift. Because mm. either the source has sort of walked walked out and is not holding it anymore and hasn't really handed it handed it on, or the source is acting out of some kind of psychological pathology, you yeah. know, from a darker well, shadow side of themselves. I'm tremendously excited by this, and I recognise that we could talk for hours on on, on this. Mm. And much in the way, and we, you know, you, you mentioned, I just realised talking about Cayman's culture, that the, the use of gender pronouns and, uh, and such like. Mm. And also the mention of patriarchal, um, and one of the, I mean, I work a lot with leaders and how they show up. So one of the areas I spend lots of time looking at is, um, different wisdoms and spirituality and, um, this idea of masculine and feminine energy. And you're talking about the way you were describing it there really rings to be a feminine energy. And, um, the, and of course, you know, the, the clarity for, listeners is that doesn't mean male and female it means a different form of energy and it really makes me think that often one of the issues as as you'll know with, with startups and founder companies is that the type of of style and energy that a founder brings is not necessarily what a business needs a year two three years in it needs a different type of energy and so it kind of strikes me that uh, as an example i'm thinking of from um a sporting association I, I, I was on the, the board of National Sporting Association and there was somebody who was given a lifetime membership at the board and they were effectively the source of one part of that organization. Yeah. And they they did it with a very gentle container type energy. They were actually male, uh, but they did it with that energy, but they would never have been the person to get it started. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah. it's interesting to think that the, there can be different types of source energy held within an individual at different phases and stages of a company or a department or a division, much like they could be. Sometimes you need that hard driving startup energy with the idea sparking, and then you need to change that source energy into, I mean, I'm just riffing, source energy into something that's different. I think this, this is a huge area that I'm really that I managed to touch on in the in the in the book actually in the first mm. book we talk about the masculine and the feminine energy as it relates yeah. as it relates to this but there mm. is definitely something that's a very feminine energy about connecting to a potential to realize something in the world so connecting to an idea for something that doesn't yet exist um, and some people do see that very spiritually that they they see that it's not just me creating something in the world but it's almost an idea coming through me like I'm mm. in, like I'm a channel, channel. Yeah. Part, uh, part of something big, part of something bigger. And that's a, that's a real feminine energy to that. And there's a real masculine energy to then actually the work of building and yeah. creating and realizing mm-hmm. the idea. Um, and, and likewise, there's a feminine energy to hold, to holding space and creating mm-hmm. room for decentralization and creating power with people rather than power over people. And there's a space for a masculine energy that's like the, the king archetype in union mm-hmm. psychology. That's about standing, standing ground and standing really firm, but in a very fair way. 
And those roles are definitely not necessarily taken on by men and women. I mean, a, a fascinating book to read through the lens of source, once you know this, is uh, Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull, the, mm-hmm. the founder of Pixar. Mm. And it's the whole story is alive with the story of source going on underneath it. And he's talking about it, yet it, not fully aware of it. And I think Ed Catmull really embodies, whilst he's a man, he embodies a real feminine mm-hmm. energy. He's actually very vulnerable, very creative. He had mm. this idea to create, you know, the first ever fully computer generated feature film, which took him what, 25 years to do with Toy Story. Mm. Um, and then Steve Jobs came in, who embodied a very masculine energy. And Steve oh. Jobs almost kind of tried to take over the company and said, right, I'll invest in it. but I'm basically buying it and beca- going to become your boss. And luckily, Ed Catmull stood his ground and said, no, this is a, this is a field that I'm holding and eventually let Steve Jobs in as an investor, mm-hmm. but in a supporting role. And the way the two of them worked together was fascinating because mm-hmm. you wanted you wanted someone to go up with um, investment bankers and with Disney to do a huge commercial deal. You send in Steve Jobs. Right. It's about thinking, how do we create the best storytelling in the world? You want Ed Catmull and then John Lasseter, who was. Mm-hmm. Who was that he worked closely with. So although it's, you know, it's another story about, about men, when you look at the masculine and feminine energy, you can mm. see it's actually very, very balanced. Well, I've been, I've been, I mean, I have been working in like the space of business leadership my whole career. And over the last decade or more, I've become increasingly fascinated by this linkage of energy and spirituality and all the things that, that to be frank, non-Western civilizations have known for thousands of years, but because we can't, you know, evidence-base it with, with our me- metrics and measurements of venture capital and private equity and, and bank finance, yeah. we, we tend to dismiss it. But I just keep bumping up again and again against there's more to it than this. And in fact, that's what brought me into the field of focusing on coaching and leadership was that I went, I've run out of measurements, right? I don't have anything to measure this by. So I've been looking at ways to bridge and access this for a long time. And so I'm extremely excited for the potential. And I know you look much more deeply than me around these topics for years. Um, so I'm really excited. I'm very happy that you, you, you carried through and got this, got this book written and published. Mm. Um, and um, I hope lots of people read it. So um, I'm conscious of honoring your time. Um, and we've, flown through half an hour as always seems to happen on when i talk to people here um so what i'd like to do is is give you the last word and so if you can uh, tell us where we can find you and where we can find online where we can find the book and any last thoughts for the audience yeah sure so you can find the book at workwithsource.com and you can buy it from there it's shipping everywhere in the world i decided for the the first few hundred copies i'm sending them out personally so you'll get Hmm. one direct direct from me because it's from the source from the source of the book, yeah, you'll get one. It's quite a nice part of the ritual, having written the book, to to actually envelope them up. And then when I when I get fed up with that, it's going in the normal book distribution system. Uh, so you'll get one, yeah, sent from from me to you. Um, you can find me online just at Tom Nixon on on Twitter or TomNixon.co.uk. You can find all my stuff from there. Um, but yeah, the the thought that I would leave people with is rather than thinking about this as just a big esoteric kind of concept. To just start with yourself and think, you know, what am I sourcing in the world? What's the change that I'm making or what's the thing 
that I'm creating? And have I really acknowledged myself in that role? And if you're an entrepreneur or a leader, just holding a little bit lightly the idea that you're you're a CEO or a <laughs> hello, do you want to say hi to Tom? <laughs> holding a bit lightly the formal roles and thinking of yourself primarily in a creative role to do something. And perhaps you've done that by starting something from scratch as a founder. Or maybe your your role of sourcing is by stepping into someone else's field. And mm. there's a thing that you're creating, like the the, the person that you mentioned earlier, mm. who's yeah, stepped into somewhere else to, to create and mm. thinking about yourself through that lens. And yeah, and if you're curious, there's more about it in the book. Fantastic. Well, congratulations and it's um, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure um, talking to you and learning more. Yeah, pleasure, Tom. Thanks so much. Cheers. Cheers.